This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week, we host Chris Kelly of Nourish Bounds Thrive. When Chris isn't busy training as a professional mountain biker, you can find him assisting clients and athletes worldwide through diet modification and personalized biofeedback tests. At Nourish Bounds Thrive, Chris seeks to identify what's making you feel ill, tired, or imbalanced through a variety of diagnostics. In this episode, you'll hear how Chris came to become so passionate about the impact of nutrition optimization. He struggled for years to adjust to a Western diet and sedentary job before giving it up to embrace his love of sport and science. What does a healthy morning sex drive and testosterone have in common? As Chris explains, just about everything. Also, here are some of the results his clients have experienced all by way of fine-tuning their diet after testing with Nourish Balance Thrive. Morning, noon, or night, Power Athlete Radio is your source of high arousal. This is episode 131. What's happening, okay. Power Athlete Nation? What's up? Are you ready for some knowledge bombs? I know that phrase is kind of thrown around there a lot these days, but you know it's the real shit when it's coming from Power Athlete HQ. I mean, first we get Dr. Ford on, and then we go right into Tate Fletcher. I hope you guys have listened to the Tate Fletcher interview, but, I mean, we got all kinds of knowledge bombs coming at you. Today... We got Chris Kelly from Nourish Balance Thrive, right? That's a company uh, that's – they're doing some pretty interesting testing. Um, Chris hails from England. He graduated from in 2000 from Southampton University. He's the CFO of Nourish Balance Thrive. And Chris, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us on the show today. It's a privilege. Thank you very much for having me. It, it seems like – it's an impossible act to follow, right? Just with the recent guest you've had on. It's good. I'm not really sure I'm going to really add to that, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, and we got Luke and Tex from Power Ant at HQ. How you guys doing? What's Yo. up? Oh. You know, Denny, you bring up a good point, and I know this we usually save the bullshit for the end, but, <laughs> like, how, Tex, how long have we been using knowledge bombs? Since the dawn of time. I believe it was on the other side of the stone tablet of Moses, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, you know, Dude. the 11th commandment that's lost. Hey, college bombs and selfie sticks. I mean, I'm going to call it that was started right here. And, and, like, now you have you look at a hashtag knowledge bomb on the old Instagram, there's a bunch of people putting out maybe knowledge, I don't know, knowledge firecrackers, maybe. But yeah. you just can't call anything a knowledge bomb. And uh, going through Chris's site, man, there's a lot – there's a lot of cool stuff that a lot of people Ooh. haven't heard of that we're going to be talking about today. So, Are you saying that we have to come up with a new hashtag today for this uh, podcast? Maybe. I I'll... think we should. Hashtag we don't fuck around. <laughs> I like it, but I don't know if it's user-friendly. <laughs> Everything's user-friendly. We can start this. We can set the standard. Well, without further ado, Danny, yeah, let's, get, right, let's, let's get Chris let's... going. Chris, uh, 
why don't you just kind of start the show? Well, we already started the show, right? But maybe we can just kind of let the listeners know a little bit about you and your background and, and what you're currently doing. Sure. So before I go any further, I should probably make it clear that I'm, I'm not a doctor or any kind of medical professional. Um, you know, what I do is mostly self-taught, actually. I'm a kind of a, a geeky, nerdy guy. I've got an undergraduate degree in computer science and, and also one in electronics. And as you can tell from my voice, I'm British. And uh, I graduated in, in 2000, which, as you can probably remember, was a pretty exciting time to be in tech. And people were offering me jobs before I even left university. And that was pretty cool. And, and one of the people that offered me a job was uh, Yahoo, who, of course, you've heard of. And uh, eventually they brought me over to the US. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to live in Sunnyvale in California. And it's all sunny and nice. And you know, I can ride my bike and kiteboard and snowboard and it's a new beginning, everything's fantastic. And um, in the beginning it was, it was, it was really great. And um, I was working in a, a little gray cubicle that I wasn't impressed with. There was a lot of things that were a real culture shock to me when I first came over here to America. And the, the gray cube was one of those things and, you know, fluorescent lights and metal boxes and cafeteria food and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't really understand any of it. And I just kind of got into it as best I could, started eating the cafeteria food and, um, yeah, I really, the wheels came off the wagon pretty quick. I put on a lot of weight. I started to get brain fog, a lot of bloating, wasn't sleeping very well. Um, in theory, you know, a single guy living in San Francisco, there's not many straight guys in San Francisco, so it should have been like, you know, happy days in terms of dating. But, um, you know, my sex drive and testosterone was just totally in the toilet and there was really nothing happening on the dating scene. And, um, you know, eventually I <clears throat> figured some stuff out with the food and discovered the paleo diet. And um, really that was kind of driven by a, perhaps not the right motive. I'm a, I'm a mountain biker and, and I started training pretty heavily once I moved to the U.S. And um, I was doing pretty good. You know, I was winning some races and looking to move up and almost looking for ways to improve my performance. And I saw the paleo diet as one way that I might be able to do that. And it, it was, it was great. And a, a lot of my symptoms improved, my digestion improved, started to think more clearly, started to sleep a bit better. Um, but it, it really didn't give me everything I was looking for. And, you know, but it's kind of sparked the interest, you know, I'm like, okay, so if it is possible for me to um, like make some improvement by myself, like what else is possible? And you know, I went to the doctor, like, if you're not feeling good, that's the first thing you do, right? You go to the doctor. And I was just astounded by how useless he was, just utterly, utterly useless. Really said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Come back in 10 years time when something is wrong. And then maybe I can help you. And uh, at the same time, he said, oh, well, if you've got GI complaints, I can send you to a gastroenterologist. And the gastroenterologist just looked at me and said, yeah, no, there's probably, probably nothing too much wrong with you. You know, it's nothing to do with anything you're eating. You know, we can give you a colonoscopy or an endoscopy. And if, if we see anything, you know, bad, we can, we can maybe do some surgery or, or give you some steroids, see if that helps. I'm thinking, no, this is not, this is not right. There's got to be more to it than this. And kind of that's what led me into the whole functional medicine thing. So I just spend all of my time now just geeking out over the, over the types of tests that you can do to find out what's going on inside your body. And of course I didn't, I didn't do this all myself to begin with. I found a functional medicine practitioner that helped me and just the results were so amazing. I just had to know how it worked. And so, you know, that's what I've been doing. I've been doing training courses. I've, I've partnered with uh, um, two medical doctors. One of the medical doctors is a 
is also a pro mountain biker. I've been able to upgrade to pro now, so we're both pros. And um, there's another medical doctor who is a PhD fellow in Oslo, in Norway. And uh, yeah, that's what we do. We now test athletes in the same way that I tested myself a couple of years ago. And we've been finding the same sorts of problems in all the athletes that we test. And and if they follow the same protocols, they get exactly same, the same results. And uh, it's been fantastic. I've given up my job a couple of years ago. I was working at a hedge fund. And I've now given that work up. And, and, and this is what I do full time. And it's just super excited about it and really having a good time helping people. So, Chris, can you talk a little bit about that journey, I guess, uh, you know, getting the disappointing feedback from the medical docs. What was your what was your first, second, third step into the functional medicine world? And uh, and and what were some of the experiences that totally, I guess, I guess, veered your path more towards that as a reliable source versus the medical world? Yeah, I guess I was kind of pulled up by my bootstraps in a way, if that makes any sense. Kind of a computer nerdy term pull, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? So you, you're kind of there in a, a haze of brain fog and you've got somebody that's saying something to you and you kind of have a, an inkling that what they're saying doesn't make sense, but you're not really thinking clearly enough to really to be able to make a good decision. And um, I just got lucky, I guess. You know, I, I, you know, I was still dating, but none of those relationships were really going anywhere. And uh, the girl I was seeing at the time is is now my wife, and uh, she is a food scientist. She had recently completed a master's degree in food science and had refused to go into practice as a dietitian or a nutritionist just because she believed that what she would have to practice wouldn't help people. And I think she was bang on. And so, you know, when the gastroenterologist and the doctor were saying, "Yeah, there's nothing wrong with you," she was saying, "No, nah, that's bollocks." <laughs> you know, and she did her own research, and so she found. Uh, the autoimmune protocol, which is kind of a stricter subset of the paleo diet, right? So no sugar, no grains, but then you would exclude a few more things. And that really helped me. And it was kind of, that was the beginning of the end for the for the conventional establishment, right? I kind of knew at that point that they were no good. And I, I don't want to like take anything away from, you know, some doctors because I've benefited greatly from people that fix broken bones, right? I've like on my mountain bike, I crash all the time. And they screw in titanium plates and all that good stuff, and it's amazing what they can do. But yeah, if you go to a doctor and just complain that you're tired, you know, you're, you're not going to have a good experience. Welcome to the to the United States <laughs> of of medicine of doctors, right? Like nobody wants to do anything because you're afraid you're going to get sued. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I've I've thought about this a lot. I spend a lot of time still thinking about it now. And 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 you know, Tommy, one of the doctors, he is a British medical doctor, and he has been in practice in the UK. And he said, if anything, the situation is worse. So in the UK, there's the National Health Service. So your tax dollars actually pay for something, right? You get the health service. And so if something really bad happens to you, um, then you're covered, you're fine. But otherwise, it's kind of the same situation. You know, you go in and you see a GP, that's a sort of general practitioner that stands for, and uh, you never see the same guy twice or woman. And uh, they've got seven minutes in order to solve your problem. And the only tool they really have is the prescription pad. And so you're leaving with a prescription, right? There's no, there's no other option. And um, obviously we know that prescriptions don't always work that well for certain problems. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned that you you found the paleo diet. I'm curious, did you try like any kind of ketogenic diet? No, I only discovered that much later on. I find that this is, this is a path, like the path for men. Like mm -hmm. if you're listening to this, so... Every single, so I'm up to 498, I counted yesterday, 498 athletes that we've tested so far. 
And for some reason, the guys around about my age, so I'm late 30s, just about to turn 40, um, a bunch of them all have like GI complaints, a lot of fatigue, a lot of brain fog, a lot of insomnia, a lot of low sex drive. And they've got a bunch of issues going on that they need to do some testing, figure out what's going on. And then once they fix those problems, right, so you get rid of your H. pylori infection, get rid of your Giardia, they then, I do a follow-up with them, say, two or three months later, and they've discovered the ketogenic diet. And suddenly they were like, okay, when I got rid of the Giardia, I felt really good. But when I went into ketosis, that was like the silver bullet. Like now I feel amazing and I want to just tell everyone about it. And it seems like it, there's something going on here. I need to figure out what's going on because all the men take this path. Chris, could you go into some of the details from the, some of the tests you're putting these, these 400 some odd athletes through? Sure. So um, there's really not that many tests, actually. So I look at salivary hormones. So there's a four point cortisol test. So I'm sure that cortisol's come up in the podcast many times. And um, I think it's the most important hormone, right? If you're under stress, that's going to change everything. People always talk about insulin and maybe growth hormone or something else. But I still think that cortisol is the most important hormone because, you know, if a tiger is chasing you, then nothing else is going to happen apart from liquidizing your assets and getting away, right? So this hormone cortisol, I think, is really important. And so we measure that. And the interesting thing is I never see high cortisol, never. Like you almost think that people are going to be stressed out. They're going to have high cortisol. Maybe that's why they can't sleep. I never see that. The cortisol is always low. And low cortisol, that's what I found in my own result too. It feels like death. It's that kind of, it's kind of mild depression. I don't really want to get out of bed in the morning. Don't look forward to training anymore. That kind of, ugh, it's just not a good feeling. So always low cortisol. And then I see low DHEA. DHEA is an anabolic precursor to a bunch of different sex hormones, including testosterone. And then in the men, I always see low testosterone. In the women, it's low progesterone and estrogen. And that, I think, is just kind of the starting place for the testing. You know, a lot of people, they do this four-point cortisol test, and they think, well, that's it. I've got adrenal fatigue. This is, this is my answer. And it kind of is. Like, it tells you that something's going on. But really, I think of that as the beginning of the investigation and so I do uh, blood chemistry, which is something probably everybody's already done, right? Just a, a CBC, a complete blood cell count and a comprehensive wellness profile. So that's just a bunch of markers you'll see on any blood test. And then um, I look at urinary organic acids. So this is a urine test that you do at home and organic acids are awesome. It like gives you this incredible window into the inside workings of your body and biochemistry. And then I also do a lot of stool testing. So especially the people with GI complaints, that's a total no-brainer. Like you should test to make sure that you don't have some kind of parasite or bacterial overgrowth or something going on in your gut because that could totally be the source of all of these problems. And really that's about it. You know, that's what I do. There's kind of like three or four different types of tests in most people. What, what hormone, you know, you talked about um, what's always registering low. And I wish we had Playtech on here, one of our other hosts, because he... He wrote an article, I want to say, a few months ago where it was like cortisol is a good thing, right? Like everybody, like you said, you know, when stress levels are high, we're always like, oh, we got high cortisol. We got to bring those levels down and negative, negative, negative. But you really don't hear a whole lot about um, like the good things that cortisol do. But Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was curious, are there, um, if, if those other hormones are registered low, what are you seeing that's registered real high? 
almost nothing across the board with um, with hormones in both men and women they're nearly always low the possible exception is I see quite a lot of women who have normal levels of testosterone so say their testosterone ideally would be 50 points so they have normal testosterone and then very low levels of estrogen and progesterone and so that's a relative testosterone dominance and those people they tend to they tend to be killer athletes actually like all of the pro mountain bikers that I test they're always like this they're just freaking killer women that you just can't believe it's a girl right like if you if there wasn't a ponytail and you were riding behind them you'd never believe it um, and they're testosterone dominant and they tend to suffer from problems like uh, blood sugar imbalance like they're slightly insulin resistant and um, you know maybe some uh, like a lot of skin stuff like acne maybe some rogue hairs and, and weirdness and this is kind of it's, it's really bad news for these women if they ever want to try and get pregnant because because PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome that's probably caused by androgen dominance and insulin resistance um, it's the leading cause of infertility so it's it's really not something that they want to live with you know it's better to sort that thing out but um, yeah for the men it's just kind of it's almost universally low like low testosterone low DHEA low cortisol and so the, if it's a, kind of a universal result have you been able to pinpoint um, what are the behavioral traits that these guys are uh, performing on a daily basis? Is it lack of sleep? Are they working too much? Are they in too much artificial light? Are they drinking too much food, processed foods and drinks and stuff like that? Well, by the time they talk to me, I think the answer is no. So, you know, I have my own podcast and, and I talk about a lot of the things that you just mentioned myself and, um, you know, people have already heard that stuff and, and those are the first thing they try, right? They try eliminating wheat and dairy and they find out about light at night and you know, they clean up their bedroom environment and uh, maybe they get rid of some plastic out of their life, you know, stop heating microwave, uh, stop heating coffee in, in microwave containers and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, they're still not feeling better. So um, that seems like a good time to me to like do some testing and try and figure out why you're doing everything right and still um, not getting uh, good results. So we're talking a lot about problems here. And uh, is there a difference between your solutions between men and women athletes? Uh, yeah, so it really depends on the finding of the tests, right? So, um, you know, say that I say that all the, the saliva panels come back the same, but the reason why might be different, right? So let me just kind of, I'll present two different reasons. So, um, let's say you had some kind of infection, you had a GI infection in your gut. And, uh, one of the things that cortisol does is it modulates inflammation, right? So cortisol's, uh, anti-inflammatory, and you know this because, you know, if you've ever had poison oak on your on your leg, which is something that ha happens to me all the time here as a mountain biker in Santa Cruz, um, you know, it creates this inflammatory rash thing on your leg, and uh, you can rub prednisone or hydrocortisone or some sort of synthetic form of cortisol into that, and it reduces the inflammation and and it stops the itching and the swelling and all the rest of that stuff. Well, the same thing happens inside your body with cortisol, and if you've got an infection, like this is not something that's controlled by you consciously. Obviously, your body just says, okay, let's just like turn down the cortisol all the way in attempt to increase inflammation and get rid of that infection and it doesn't like normally work like if with some infections it doesn't get rid of the infection and so it becomes something chronic and then there's another situation which I see a lot of which is there's something wrong so people always talk about adrenal fatigue and as if there's something wrong with the actual adrenal glands themselves 
And I'm sure that can happen, but I don't think it's what's happening in the athletes that I test. I think what's more likely, if it's not the infection thing, then the cells inside of the adrenal gland, so that somewhere inside your body, there's these cells that are making this steroid hormone, right? And if those cells don't have what they need in order to do what those cells do, then they just don't make the hormone, right? They don't make the testosterone, they don't make the cortisol, they don't make whatever hormone that it is. And so sometimes I'll see someone who is anemic, right? So um, they're unable to deliver oxygen to these special cells that make the low cortisol, uh, sorry, that make the cortisol, and so they end up with low cortisol. But they also have a bunch of other symptoms because it's not those cells that don't have enough oxygen. Those are not the only cells that don't have enough oxygen. It's, it's all of them, right? So they just feel really tired and crappy. So then, uh, can you can you walk us through the testing process? I guess let's say uh, an athlete of ours who's listening right now is like, you know, this this NB uh, this NBT thing is what I'm looking for. What so what happens next? Um, sure. So um, usually, what happens is people place an order online for the for the test kits. And um, most of the tests you can do at home. So, you know, I talked about the saliva hormone testing. Uh, you can do that at home. Urinary organic acids, again, it's just a, a sample of urine that you collect first thing in the morning. You freeze that, send it into the lab. The stool is the same. Not much fun to collect some poo, but it can be worth it if you find a cryptosporidium infection, right? You kind of want to deal with that and get, get rid of it. And um, the blood testing is a little bit more complex. You do need to go to the lab and have blood drawn. Uh, but you don't need to see a doctor. If you order the test through me, I can just send you the PDF requisition form. So the disadvantage is you're going to be paying out of pocket, right? You just pay cash. But the advantage is you don't need to go to a doctor and you know exactly what you're going to pay, right? So when I've done a ton of blood work in the past, it's like it's like playing the lottery. You might, you know, the, the, the billing statement comes back from the insurance company. They might cover everything. They might cover nothing. You know, you think you're going to pay $100 for a standard blood chemistry. You end up paying $1,000. It's like kind of, yeah, really tricky. So, so, so that's the process. You know, it takes a while to get all the tests done. Most people take a couple of weeks over it. But um, yeah, I've got people that I work with. I've got my um, wonderful registered nurse Amelia, who's also done all the same training as me, and she's really good at walking people through the process. Yeah, she's the one that uh, she emailed us, giving us a heads up on what you guys were doing. Um, so we're talking about like testing athletes. Um, do you? Do you have any experience in testing like children or, or teenagers, you know, and just kind of, you know, getting a getting a feel for like how to improve their performance or anything like that? You know, I haven't tested that many kids. I've tested a couple, um, but not many. I, I don't think it's worth testing hormones in kids. That's kind of a waste of your money. Mm -hmm. um, but the organic acids are pretty awesome for that, right? So if you've got someone... Uh, you know, so I've had a relative, a close family friend that's had a lot of GI symptoms. And uh, yeah, you run an organic acids test on, on a kid and, and it's really common to find uh, bacterial overgrowth. So that's one of the cool things that the organic acids test can do. It doesn't look at the bacteria in your gut directly. That's, that's quite difficult to do. But what it can do is measure some of the things that the bacteria in your gut would produce, these metabolites they're called. Um, so certain species of bacteria and also yeast, there's a yeast called candida that produces something called diarabinitol, and that's something you can measure in a urine sample. So it's a surrogate marker. It's like a proxy, you might call it. And uh, so, yeah, you collect a sample of urine, send it into the lab, and they can tell you, you know, if there's bacterial overgrowth. And that's super common in, in you know, in kids with uh, GI symptoms. I see that quite a lot, um, you know, anecdotally, but um, not much in, in my practice. I mean, we always talk about, like, how the the gut's the, 
the window to the immune system, you know, and I, 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 we had a guest on, uh, a few weeks ago, Dr. Kenneth Ford, who's, like John says, pretty much the smartest guy in the world, right? He was really getting into, like, ketogenic diets and, and the benefits of, uh, you know, like, we kind of got in this conversation about the NFL athletes and, and, uh, TBIs, and then it went into soldiers out in, uh, you know, in the field. And then I, a, a girl uh, happened to walk into the gym a few hours after that conversation. And she's kind of, you know, at, at the gym that I'm at, she's more of the competitive CrossFitter. And she's, like, telling me all of these, like, food allergies that she has. And it, it was like she was allergic to everything, mm. every single thing. And I was like, man, I, you know, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And, um, you know, the, the, the prescriptions that she is on are like a lot of probiotics and stuff like that. But I, I wish I could like find something for her to, you know, that, that she can kind of, you know, help her and, you know, she can get some good quality nourishment because, I mean, she's a, she looks great when she performs, but, like, you can see it in her face that she's just, like, drained, mm -hmm. just, you know, like, lack of energy. Like, when I, when I start looking at um, some of these symptoms that uh, in, on your website, you talk about, like, you know, gas, diarrhea, painful bloating, poor cognition, you know, you were calling it, like, brain fog and mild yeah. depression, <laughs> like, all these things, I mean, that's... I mean, for one thing, that seems like me on every Sunday morning. For another, though, that's, uh, I see that in her, you know, and it seems like there's, everything's just kind of like, you know, here's a good probiotic for you. And I don't know, maybe I should like have her, you know, send some tests over to you and see what you guys, if you guys can help her out or not. Yeah, I mean, you've got to um, you've got to get checked out to make sure that you don't have the infections. And and that this the weird thing is about this stuff is the regular doctors, so primary care physicians or GPs as we call them in the UK, are just not looking for this stuff. But they will treat it if you find something. So something that happens all the time, you know, we'll do this stool antigen test, and the results will come back positive for a bacteria called H. pylori. And H. pylori is a very famous bacteria. It's uh, um, some uh, scientist called Barry Marshall won the Nobel Prize for showing that it was a causal factor in um, stomach ulcers, which left untreated can become cancer. And uh, he cured himself of these ulcers by taking antibiotics. And so it's very well known within the, the medical establishment, the community, um, that treating this bacteria, H. pylori, is a good idea. But, but none of the doctors, like if you come in and you say, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of bloating, a lot of heartburn, I'm burping, I'm tired, I can't think clearly. Um, they're not still probably not going to test you for H. pylori. And even if they do, they're going to use a blood test, which is notoriously unreliable. And what you really need is the stool antigen test. But then say, okay, so let's say you did the test with me and you found out that you, you had this bacteria H. pylori. And then you went back to your doctor and said, hey, look at this, I've got this bacteria. They say, oh, look at that, so you do. And they'll prescribe you like three types of antibiotics to get rid of it. Um, and I've seen that work well, as well as some botanical herbs. But yeah, it's just strange to me that the doctors are not really thinking to screen for this stuff, because I, I know for sure it can be a problem. And, and I think it's something you've got to think about. Like if, so for your girl, you know, if she's cut out 
all of the things that we know can be problematic, so like wheat and dairy, and maybe she's eliminated nuts and eggs mm -hmm. and seeds and nightshades, and she's yeah. still got a lot of like gas and diarrhea and, and problems like that, yeah. then you, you've really got to start asking yourself then, okay, so we've, we've eliminated all of the likely suspects, is something else going on here? And, and, and I think it, it probably is because just, you know, the results that I've seen, like more than half of them have some kind of infection on and, and, and people always feel better when they get rid of the infection. So I think it's a test worth doing. Yeah, she, it, you know, the way she describes it is like things work well for a while when she makes these specific changes and then it's almost like her body kind of adapts to it and it goes right back down to shitter, you know, literally. Yeah, and she also mentioned like uh, she went, she took a trip to Venezuela uh, maybe a month ago because she's a school teacher, and like didn't have any kind of issue, right? It was almost like she was saying the quality of the food was so much better. I don't know. Yeah, it's right. it's. I think about that too. You know, it's an interesting hypothesis, isn't it? That you yeah. know, I didn't. I wasn't great as a kid. I definitely had some GI issues. I do remember shit in my pants as a kid. But it wasn't that bad, you know, until I got to the U.S. And then it was like, you know, it ended me in, in a very short period. You know, within five years, I was I was just completely a wreck of a human being. So I think there is like something special going on about either the American food or maybe something else in the environment. I'm not really sure. Chris, I want to switch gears back to athlete. I work, up, work with a lot of college athletes, and then I often get this question once their season is over. Mm -hmm. And I, I just picked up on your article about transitioning into the offseason. So could we talk about some of the, the signs that you as a coach should be looking for in terms of energy, interest, training into your athletes as they transition into the offseason? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so the thing I always look for, I, you know, sometimes it's easiest to talk about what I look for in myself just because I can describe those feelings so much better. And uh, at the moment, so I'm a mountain biker and at the moment I'm racing cycle cross and, and that's kind of a weird thing that cyclists do in the winter. It's like short track mountain bike racing on bikes which look like a road bike. It's a really weird thing. It involves running and all kinds of weird stuff, very high intensity. But I'll be done with that soon. And so I'll be moving into an off season. And for me, like the main thing, the main sign that you're ready is you start getting really bored and really jonesing for exercise. So all these people that I've been testing and I've been talking about up until now, with low cortisol and what many people would call adrenal fatigue, they're not looking forward to training at all. Like they'll do it just because they're type A people that are very motivated and disciplined, but they're really not looking forward to it in the way that they used to. That's that's a clear sign. So when you start feeling that, you know, I'm really looking forward to going out and running or swimming or lifting or biking, whatever it is you do, I think that's a really clear sign. And then the men have the most fantastic barometer in morning glory, right? So you should, especially the younger, like if you've got college age boys, they should be dreaming about sex all day long, all night long, waking up with a boner. And if that's not happening, that's a clear sign for me that something's really not going according to plan. That's kind of, that's like, I mean, that's almost as sensitive as doing a, a testosterone test as far as I'm concerned, that, that one little qualitative measure. Never thought about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so all those years, definitely... yeah, I was on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can save yourself $400 on a test. You just need to like pay attention when you wake up. Uh, yeah, I'm sure morning glory is definitely a deep topic here. Uh, but sticking with the college athlete in that article, you talked about some hidden signs for or causes for fatigue that a coach should be looking for. And so I know at the, the college level, you, 
also have the stress of class. You got the stress of you know chicks, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever whatever it is. So could you talk about some of the things that coaches should look for, like the hidden signs of fatigue and stress? Hmm, some of the hidden things. Yeah, so maybe I'm not the best person to answer this question because I'm such a testing guy, you know? Um, you know, that's my thing. Like, I don't like to... So here's the thing about symptoms, right? They, they're all the same. Like, I listen to... I've done, as well as testing 498 athletes, I have do these free consultations, which I still do, and I must have talked to well over a 1,000 people here, and they all tell me exactly the same symptoms. Everybody's tired. Everybody's unable to sleep, even though they're so, so tired during the day. Everybody can't make it more than four hours without food. Um, everybody's sex drive is gone. Nobody looks forward to exercise anymore. That's kind of the constellation of signs and symptoms. And so to ask people, you know, or, or tell me about that, do you have this thing? And they say, yes, it's like, it's almost like you haven't got any additional information. Do you know what I mean? So you can't really, I don't think you can really guess as a coach, like you just have to do the test. and. Um, you know, the, the technology is here. We don't have to like guess. We can we can do the test. Although it's it's quite expensive. You, some of the data you might already have in 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 the blood chemistry. Chris, I think we'd make a good team in in terms of testing and then and then coaching because uh, a lot of things that, that I've been learning throughout the years is empathy and then connection with athletes. So it'd be a good thing to kind of test a coach's skill or test a coach's empathy and connection with their athlete, kind of feeling what they're feeling by adding in those tests. So uh, definitely that, that energy almost in the, in the warm-up or uh, like that two, three minutes before you got to make them take the warm-up lap or whatever, that's, that's definitely almost the telltale sign of how your training is going and how they're feeling, uh, pairing lifting with practice and so on and so forth. So, you know, the, these things that you're talking about that you're seeing in the test, they definitely exist outside of that. Yeah, and there, I mean, there are some questions I should add that um, I get everybody to do a, a health assessment questionnaire, and these aren't questions I just you know pulled out of a hat. They came from an NIH uh, project, and, and some of them are extremely poignant. Like when you ask someone, you know, I experienced extreme exhaustion, I ran out of energy, my fatigue limited at me at work, I was too tired to think quick, uh, clearly, I was too tired to exercise strenu strenuously. So there's like a bunch of questions I ask people that that help me track progress, but it doesn't really help me diagnose anything, you know, it doesn't really tell me where the problem is. Yeah, and, and much like cycling, it's it's a set competition date. Uh, any any sport, either high school, college, or pro, it's a set date, and no matter how you're feeling, you still have to compete to the mm -hmm. best of your abilities. So kind of with that stress, is there any different approach to kind of um, prescription or do you recommend testing this stuff during season for different athletes? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, most of the people I work with are, are masters athletes, and they're just done with it. In fact, some people that come to me, they've got to the point where they can't train at all anymore. They're, like they know if they if they get their heart rate up above a certain level, they're not going to be able to get out of bed the next day. So that's that's pretty bad. Um, but at the same time, I think. The off-season is a unique opportunity because you can try something new without affecting your performance, right? So let's say there's something in this paleo diet thing and uh, you know, maybe in the first couple of weeks you might be a bit confused about what it is that you should be eating and you're going to make some mistakes and maybe you're going to not eat enough food and, and maybe you're going to lose some weight and a little bit of muscle and um, you know, maybe that's not going to be great for your 
performance in the short term, but it is going to yield some advantage in the long term. So yeah, you'd want to do that in the off season where it's not going to affect your results. Well, Chris, what, in terms of an athlete, let's say, who's uh, experiencing some of these mental components, whether it's approaching training uh, or even just losing that competitive drive, what? And let's say that they start just start to mask this stuff with, you know, pre-workout coffee chugs, uh, you know, face buzz, extreme 2000. I mean, what risks are they looking to run into? Uh, whether or not it's an adrenal issue or perhaps some sort of infection, where they just kind of uh, supplement themselves out of that deficit. Yeah, so that's, I mean, so one of the, you know, one of the things that stress does, or one of the things that cortisol does, is it defers long-term building projects. So, um, you know, I talked about a tiger earlier, and I think that's a really great analogy, and it's actually not mine. There's a, there's a really talented guy called uh, Robert Sapolsky who has a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, and he talks about this in some depth, but it's, it's kind of easy to explain. You know, imagine you're a zebra running across the African savanna, lion jumps out from behind a bush, zebra runs for its life, hopefully survives the day, doesn't happen again, maybe ever for, you know, maybe six months, maybe a year, whatever. But for that moment when the zebra is running for its life, it wants to just put all long-term building projects on hold, right? Everything, like including digestion, because you think even digestion is a long-term building project. If you're about to be eaten by a tiger, then what's the point in trying to digest food? You just want to liquidate your assets and just create as much energy as you possibly can and run for your life. And of course, if you're run down and you're stressed out and uh, you've got an infection and, and maybe some other nutrient deficiency that's acting like a stress on your body, then masking over that with the symptoms so that you can keep going and you know not dealing with that, you're just constantly putting those long-term building projects on hold. And then eventually you're just going to come undone, right? You're just going to end up, you know, you'll get the flu and you just won't be able to get out of bed one day until you like start to address it. Yeah, that's it. Go, go, go ahead, Denny. You're well, I was just, I was, uh, I kind of wanted to go back to the whole cortisol thing because I, I mean, that's something that I'm not well, well versed in as far as like the benefits of it. And we're kind of going down this, this path of, of people feeling this like drawn out, just beat down, like no, uh, no enthusiasm or will to train and all that kind of stuff. When, when like, you know, and I just work with like kind of the general pop more, than um, higher level athletes, uh, that's one of the first things I'll kind of go to is just, you know, I'll ask them about their their personal life a little bit, you know, like what's it like at home? Are you stressed out and stuff like that? And I'll always kind of go to this, you know, have you gotten your cortisol level checked? Because, you know, say 80% of these conversations will be something, you know, these people, their ultimate goal is to kind of look good naked, to lose some weight. You know, I, I can't, I'm doing, I feel like I'm doing these things right. I can't shed these extra pounds. And, and from what I know of like cortisol, if it's all jacked up, like you're going to retain some of that weight, you know? So I kind of present it to them more of a negative thing. Right. And um, I'm kind of interested in more of like the benefits of that. What are the benefits of cortisol? Well, yes, yeah, a catabolic hormone that breaks things down and mobilizes energy. Right. So in, in the right time and place. So, you know, on Sunday, I'm going to be in a cycle cross race. And when the gun goes off, I want some cortisol, right? That's a good thing. I like, I need that cortisol to you know, mobilize energy. That's going to 
that's going to start making me break down fat and maybe a little bit of protein and, and, and glycogen and I'm going to use all those things as energy for to get me through that bike race and of course it's all completely artificially induced stress but yeah at that point um, cortisol is going to serve a very useful purpose for me and, and you know the same thing that stress response is designed to save my life and I'm abusing it a little bit but yeah if I were a unable to produce that cortisol then just nothing would happen and, and I have actually experienced that you know the gun would go off at the start of a bike race and I'd be just off on my merry way like I was you know on my way to work or something and uh, and it's funny that you should say that actually about that trying to paper over that with stimulants and whatnot because I got to the point where I'd take you know, two grams of caffeine in capsule form uh, before the start of a bike race to try and get myself going. And it, it sort of worked, but I was unable to sleep for about two days afterwards. So it was like, there's too much of a downside. Yeah. And then I think, you know, another way that you can um, track this stuff, if you're worried about it, if you're worried that you are overtraining is heart rate variability. So that's what I get everybody to do now is to put on a heart rate monitor strap and then just test the heart rate variability. I'm not sure if that's something you've talked about on the on the podcast before. And I'm seeing a wonderful correlation between you know the readiness to train and how healthy a person is and their HRV score. That's you know what uh, I trained a, a guy who was um, like they do the firefighters challenge. They actually went to the worlds and won it, but that had nothing to do with what I was doing with them, right? Like he's this we I only got to work with him for a little bit, but he he was really big on his heart rate monitor, right? He kept looking at it, and he's and I'm like, you know, where are you at? And he's like, oh, I'm at like you know 160, so I I need to keep doing this in order to you know because I perform better at that at this certain level. And he was like really just into like the exactness of what that monitor was telling him and totally gauging his performance on that number right right yeah no this is something different so I do that too I'm kind of nerdy like that too I like to wear a heart rate monitor whilst I ride my bike but no this is you know so first thing in the morning you put on that same heart rate monitor the same gadget and uh, you pair it with your phone and there's an app you can get called elite HRV is the one that I like the best and um, so you sit there and you just kind of breathe quietly for a couple of minutes and what the, the app is doing, it's measuring the distance in between heartbeats, right? So your heart, it doesn't beat like a metronome. It's not just going dum, 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 like someone playing the drums. It's like all the different spaces in between the beats are different. And the greater the variability, so the greater the difference in between the, the beats, the healthier your autonomic nervous system is. So the greater the variability, the greater the HRV score, the more ready you are to train. And so this is kind of a cool or bio, I mean, it's a bit geeky and like, okay, you have to buy a heart rate monitor strap and all that kind of stuff, but it's kind of a cool hack. You know, you can look at your heart rate variability and then know whether today is like a good day to go hard or whether it maybe would be a better day for you to just go take a walk or do some yoga or something. Yeah, we had a, we had a client that uh, was, was, we tried to get on that heart rate variability because he has just ended up, he was just this hard charger regardless of how he felt. It was just mind over matter type deal. And then what he ended up doing is just uh, like his idea of green, yellow, and red were just always go hard. Right. <laughs> so it just, it was, it, we just couldn't wrangle him in, and we ended up having to kind of trick him a little bit with the programming we provided, and um, it you know put together some combos and some movement types that you just can't go hard and can't go fast on. 
just to kind of self try to self-regulate and anticipate that heart rate variability based off the training schedule and this guy's work schedule. So, uh, no, it's pretty interesting stuff. It's just some people, you know, Chris, I'm a computer science uh, undergrad as well. Oh, cool. And and you know, for me to you know crush a spreadsheet, track two, three, four months of progress on very very uh, like you know a number of variables isn't scary to me. But you like for someone to look at that much information uh, and who's perhaps a different type of thinker is just like, what do you mean I have to track my heart rate and chart it? And you know, <laughs> they they get a little intimidated. Yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely different types of people. It's one of the things I've been learning over the last couple of years, you know, that some people respond really well to data and to rules and other people just, they, you know, they want to run a mile whenever you say something like that. And uh, it's, it's the, 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 the talent, the, the, the key is to like spot which person is going to respond well. But um, with, the, with, the, with this, the reason I like it, Elite HRV is um, there's a dashboard. So you as a coach can actually get all of your clients to be tracking their heart rate variability. And then you can sit down and look at one web page, one dashboard and like see the numbers for like all of your clients, right? So, you know, for your clients, they, they, they don't even have to care about it too much. Like they just sit down, they know they have to put the heart rate monitor on for a couple of minutes. And then um, the app has this really nice breathing guide that I really like. And it's just a circle that it spans and then shrinks again. And you just, breathe you time your breathing according to the movement of the circle and so you know it's just starting the day with some deep breathing exercises which I think is probably a good idea anyway and then you as a coach you can see exactly what's going on with your athletes and it's kind of I don't know it's a pretty cool hack I think yeah it's uh it's it, the way technology is influencing our ability to train and and work with athletes or just uh you know be a, a weekend warrior is amazing man it's it's crazy yeah, I mean, there's just so, and, and then when you get into the biochemistry, it's, you know, the only way in which I've been able to improve my performance over the last few years is with through uh, tweaking the biochemistry. So I'll give you a couple of examples. On the organic acids test, there's three markers called adipate, superate, and ethylmalonate, and those build up in the urine when there's insufficient carnitine in order to enable fat burning, right? So a fatty acid, it, it can't get from the outside of the cell into the mitochondria where it's burnt as energy. And you need this nutrient carnitine, which can come from your food and also comes from inside your body. You can synthesize it inside of your body. And if there's not enough and you're eating a high fat diet, then you're not going to feel good because you have not enough of this nutrient to burn the fat. And, um, you know, testing for this with the organic acids and figuring this thing out was like night and day to me. You know, I was eating this high fat diet, not really doing very well on the bike, did the urinary organic acids test, figured out I was deficient in, in carnitine. And it, it just made such a huge difference to me. And, you know, it kind of, you think about that, really, I mean, like that technology to be able to do that type of test and for it to be commercially available, you know, not just available to someone like Ken Ford, who's working in a lab somewhere, but actually to you and me, I think is uh, a pretty amazing thing. And it's a fairly recent development, I think. Chris, we know there's a, a difference between an endurance and a power athlete's mitochondrial density. Have you seen one, if you've worked with any power athletes, uh, an endurance difference between heart rate variability between those two different athletes? Yeah, so I know that, um, so the heart rate variability score can um, sometimes come out the same, but typically what I see is um, the strength athletes, they tend to be sympathetic dominant, 
right? So that the sympathetic autonomic nervous system being the fight or flight side. And, and so they tend to be very dominant towards that side. And um, then the endurance athletes like me, we tend to be very parasympathetic dominant. So with the parasympathetic, you see like the kind of the rest and relax and um, you, know, you quite often see a very suppressed uh, resting heart rate, right? So my resting heart rate, if I do you know, three days of riding my bike for three hours, I'll see my resting heart rate drop into the 30s quite often. Um, but yeah, no, that doesn't really speak to how um, ready to train you are, right? Like a kind of, um, you just notice those patterns in the heart rate variability. So this, Chris, this is all uh, fascinating stuff, man. And I think uh, we're, we're getting about that time to start wrapping up. So if um, I'm, there's got to be just based off of the, you know, three or four listeners that follow our podcast, <laughs> one of those guys has to be exhibiting some of these signs of just why the fuck? Where's my motor? Where's my drive? And mm-hmm. and perhaps this has sparked a you know sparked a fire under their ass to come check out uh, what you got to offer. What's their next steps? What do they do to get in touch with you? And uh, and is there a site or anything you want to pass along to these guys? Where, where can they find you? Sure. Actually, I'm running a program at the moment, so we're, I'm calling this idea uh, clinical coaching. So this is the idea that we're going to use these same clinical tests in order to pr- improve your performance. So it's a kind of a different goal from from what the doctor's doing. The doctor's just trying to prevent disease and death, whereas we're actually trying to pr- improve your performance. And I say we, because I'm partnered with um, Tommy Wood, the medical doctor, and um, he's an expert in neonatal brain metabolism. Oh, if you want someone to talk about ketones or insulin resistance, he'd be a really great person for the podcast, actually. But we're t- we've got together and we're running this clinical coaching program, and it consists of a blood chemistry and the urinary organic acids test that I've been talking about. And uh, you can order that on my website. The, the address is O2Boost, that's O2 as in oxygen, boost, and then .nourishbalancethrive.com. And uh, there's some options there. You don't have to do the organic acids if you don't want to. It's, it's more expensive to do them and you have more information, but it's not required. And then what happens is I'll send you a PDF requisition form for LabCorp. And you go to the lab, you get some blood drawn, results come back to us electronically. I sit down with Tommy, we look at your results, we look for things, look for places where you could be doing better. And then I get you back on the phone or Skype and uh, we discuss what to do next. And that's a great place to start. You know, those, those are the two most general tests, blood chemistry, urinary organic acids, very general tests, give you lots of information. And that's a really good place to start to know where to go next. Well, man, this, this has been an awesome, awesome podcast and uh, pretty insightful stuff. Um, I appreciate your time, Chris. Uh, guys, you got anything else for Chris? I'm good, Luke. Nope. All right, man. Hey, Chris, thanks a lot, man. And, uh, you know, we'll be in touch and maybe we'll, we'll try and circle back and get both of you guys on the podcast and talk a little bit about that uh, ketosis and ketones. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm very uh, pleased for the opportunity. It's very, very kind of you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot, Chris. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. To learn more about Chris Kelly, the mountain biking entrepreneur, science nerd, and wellness master, visit www.nourishbalancedrive.com. You can also find him on Instagram at, you guessed it, Nourish Balance Thrive. You know we're always trying to find new ways to use your body to its full potential, so take a peek at the site and take advantage of all the available resources that Chris has to offer. Until next time, bye!